All right, this is the Hot Tag Wrestling Podcast. I am Christy Francesco, and boy, do we have a fun one for y'all tonight. I mean, fun to me, of course. Uh, we are here to discuss uh, Shawn Michaels' tumultuous, controversial, and historical year that was 1997. What happened during this calendar year for HBK, you might ask? The better question would be, what didn't happen? Um, from winning the WWF title inside a dome in San Antonio to the Montreal screw job and everything uh, in between. Uh, one can argue that this is one of the most news and noteworthy year in wrestling history for one performer. Uh, yes, Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin did their thing in terms of records and soaring to unheard of, you know, financial highs, but in terms of, controversy and yes i'm going to say this changing the game forever in terms of the attitude era which we'll get to none of those guys compare to to sean michaels especially from 1997 Um, nobody had the higher of highs and the lows of lows than the showstopper um 1997 is also um one of the greatest you know if not the greatest year in pro wrestling history so you got to remember Entering 1997, the NWO is in full swing, kicking the WWF's ass every single week. And the WWF was trending, you know, towards the Attitude Era, but hadn't quite gotten there yet. Um, 1997 was the most pivotal year and transcendent year to date um, at that time uh, for the World Wrestling Federation. And who was the guy spearheading that change? Uh, Shawn Michaels. It might have been pill and cocaine induced, but nonetheless, we'll definitely uh, get to some of those. So I definitely want to just get right in here and dive in. Joining me tonight uh, is someone who I just love uh, chatting uh, pro wrestling with. He is the co-host, one of the co-hosts of uh, our other, our sister podcast, uh, the uh, Big Geek Energy. He's also the host of uh, the Multiverse Movie Podcast and Station 007. George, we're all over the place, but my man, uh, you're busier than than most. But uh, George Rogers, how you doing, man? I'm living my life. I'm living. <laughs> Thank God. Thank thankfully you're living. Yeah, he's alive. <laughs> he's alive. Um, all right. So, and this was a topic that I knew George would want to talk about because uh, for those of you who listen to Big Geek Energy or have heard George on the show before. Um, he's really good with the history of wrestling, especially from this era. Uh, but he's also a Shawn Michaels fan. And like me, and you guys will most likely hear, uh, not the biggest fan of Mr. 4 out of 10, Brett the Hitman Hart. Uh, and we will definitely uh, get into to that guy later on. Because uh, the story of 1997 for Shawn Michaels involves a lot of Bret Hart. And we will dig into that. Um, so... As we get started, um, George, you have any kind of opening remarks regarding 1997 uh, of your fandom, HBK in 97? Were you a fan of his? Where were you as a wrestling fan in 1997? 1997, I was uh, admittedly flipping back and forth between both companies, between WCW and WWE at that point. Uh, Raw and Nitro, I mean, we're, we're knee deep in the... Um, we're knee deep in the, in the Monday Night Wars at this point. Uh, it's it's 97, so WCW was kind of, or, or or Nitro, I should say, was running away with it in the 
in the ratings. And Sean had, I mean, Sean had a memorable year. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, he was memorable for a, a couple different reasons. Some say controversial, you know, either way you look at it, it was newsworthy. Yeah, for sure. And so we have to, before we get to where we are, which was the start of 97, it started big for, for Michaels. We have to rewind back a few months for you guys, just so we can help you play catch up before getting uh, to the rumble of 1997 uh you go all the way back to the august you have SummerSlam, uh where uh sean defeated vader uh to retain the wwf title that was supposed to actually be for those of you who don't know that vader series was supposed to be a series of three it was supposed to be sean beating vader at SummerSlam, and then at survivor series at madison, uh, madison square garden uh vader was supposed to defeat sean michaels to win the title and then no matter what, once they got to the Alamo Dome in January of 97, it was going to be going back to Shawn Michaels. However, um, as history says, and, you know, you've heard Vader talk about it on interviews before he passed, and you've heard Shawn say it, um, that match at SummerSlam was a one and done because the chemistry was just not good. Um, the Vader of 1996 was not WCW's Vader from the early 90s. Um, he just wasn't the same guy. Um, and at that point, if you're 450 pounds and you can't move that well, um, you know, you probably aren't going to be able to catch up with Sean in the ring at that time um, in 96, especially. Um, so then you go into September to one of the most, you know, I guess, you know, aforementioned matches that people completely forget about that many people of the nineties wrestling wise have brought up as one of their favorite matches ever. And that was against mankind at in your house, mind games which took place in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's a very memorable pay-per-view. That was where we started to really see the, the feistiness or the grit of the Heartbreak Kid finally start to show a little bit. You saw the seeds of uh, um, a more uh, rough, a more tough uh, HBK character than that white meat baby face that we got um, in the beginning, in the middle of 1996. Uh, and then you go... Um, you know, Sid beating Vader at Buried Alive in your house, Buried Alive to get that title shot Survivor Series. And then you got 1996 Survivor Series, which is a very famous pay-per-view. That's where we saw the first really big battle between Steve Austin and Bret Hart. Uh, this, was, this was the debut of uh, this guy that might, might have became a little bit of a guy that you, you star that you guys all might know, you know, Rocky Maivia, The Rock debuted on that pay-per-view. Um, kind of a big deal. Um, Never heard of him. No, you know, maybe one day he'll make it in, in, in something. Um, uh, and then you have that pay-per-view um, where Sid went over on Shawn Michaels to become the WWF champion. But if the, the big story that came out of that pay-per-view, Shawn was, he was heavily booed at that pay-per-view. The world wanted Sid. Um, and that was probably the seeds that probably been planted to where, well, I mean, the New York crowd was always known as the kind of crowd that you could really kind of judge who's over and who's not and kind of what everybody else did because New York is that East Coast crowd that Vince McMahon really gravitated towards. So uh, you, you get the seeds planted for a possible heel turn coming up for Sean with Sid going over. Uh, so you got the title change. Um, and then you go to, here we are, we get to uh, Royal Rumble 1997, over 60,000 people filled the Alamo Dome. By the way, I just want to bring this up to you. Um, 1997, 
you know, obviously it's a one month in a 97, George. And we know now, looking back at history, that in 1996, the WWE could barely sell out, you know, high school gyms on live events. How ballsy was it to say, you know what? We're going to go sell 60,000 tickets at the Alamo Dome for the Royal Rumble at a time when the business didn't demand it. The bit, you know, this wasn't the NWO. This wasn't the hottest thing in the world right now over on WCW. You know, you're trying to fill 60,000 people. I got to give credit to Vince and company to say, look, you know, we think Sean's a pretty good draw in San Antonio being from that area. Let's try to sell 60,000 tickets. And they did. I mean, that was pretty freaking impressive for 1997. Um, I mean, the the Rumble's a big event. So the Rumble's going to draw numbers. Yeah. Um, especially with Sean going in, uh, facing Sid for the, for, for the world title. I mean, yeah. a lot of people figured he was going to grab the belt anyway. So, yeah. you know, he's got a very strong San Antonio fan base. So they're going to want to see that live. Um, yeah. so, I mean, Vince, I mean, I don't know if it's being ballsy saying that hey, we're going to sell 60,000 tickets in, in the, in the Alamo dome, or if it was just, he was just that smart and he knew he was going to do it. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a great point too. Um, so, uh, Royal Rumble, 1997, uh, Sean defeats Psycho Sid uh, inside his hometown crowd to recapture WWF Championship. However, the reign does not last very long. On February 13th, 1997, uh, HBK surrenders the WWF title because of a shoot um, knee injury. Uh, however, in storyline, it was the infamous I Lost My Smile event. Um, you know, if you discuss, you know, the, this, you know, you could discuss this, you know, the rift between the fans, Brett and Sean, uh, fans in Brett's corner still believe HBK faked this injury so that he didn't have to drop the title to Brett Hart at WrestleMania 13. I mean, that's never been confirmed that Brett would have won at WrestleMania 13, but I'm sure Brett assumed that, you know, Vince told him that uh, he was going to win uh, something we'll, we'll just probably never know. Um, but you know, it's the, I lost my smile thing for those of you who read Shawn Michaels' book. Um, and I've heard other people talk about this, the, I lost my smile. If you go back and you guys listen to it in context, um, that was still a kayfabe era that was 1997. So you're still in kayfabe. It was rare for someone to come out and cut a promo and be like, yeah, I went to the doctors last week and they told me that I can never wrestle again because my knees messed up. So I got to retire. So from a storyline perspective, everyone knew of Sean's personal struggles at the time um, because he made it known. So he just said, you know, I talked to my mom on the phone and, you know, she said, you know, I noticed that you're really bitter and that you lost your smile. So Sean, I guess, being that kind of baby face really at that time, took that and ran. Um, But it's weird how it kind of has taken a life onto itself about the whole I lost my smile thing when most fans that are of my age or maybe a little bit older or younger can look back and, and look it up on Google and be like, well, I mean, he was told by a doctor, multiple doctors that he can never wrestle on his knees again. Um, again, that's one or two doctors. You know, that's just the way it was back then. Technology wasn't what it was in 2021. Um, so your, what were your thoughts on the, I lost my smile thing. And at the time, what were your thoughts? And then looking back now, um, should, do you still think it should be something that's widely criticized? I mean, it hasn't aged well. It has not. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Like it, like the whole "I lost my smile" thing. It it, it, it hasn't aged well. I mean, in '97 that was one thing, but you know, 2021, it's 
it, it's comical and it's and 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 Sean's taken a lot of ribbing for it over the years as well yeah. you know yeah, everyone always brings up the lost my smile thing and now it's just like widely criticized uh because of the whole thing where you know sean didn't want to drop the belt to brett you know whether he was faking the knee injury whether it wasn't and the, there's always a bit like a big revisionist history on it now like looking back but at the time in 97 uh there were no dirt sheets for us to read so oh, yeah we yeah, had man. no idea yeah, unless you wasted money to a scam artist out in San Jose, California, you weren't really getting your your wrestling news updates because, you know, there wasn't really, you know, I think in 97, I couldn't just go on my dial up AOL.com and just look up, oh, hey, Shawn Michaels lost a smile. What's the real deal? <laughs> it's just not, it wasn't something that I had access to back then. Um, so we don't see, so after this, this happens, we do not see HBK again until the build for June's King of the Ring pay-per-view. Um, so, you know, you go back and let's just go into the build here for King of the Ring. This was at a time where Sean was really starting to ramp it up, um, in terms of his promos, um, his heel tactics. Uh, basically what I'm saying is he didn't give an F about anything that he was doing on camera. You know, I remember when he first came back for that first promo and we, and we know now that this was when, when the boys in the back thought, you know, he was faking this knee injury all along. So what does Shawn Michaels do? Instead of putting out the fire, he jumps in the ring. He runs up to the top turnbuckle and does a backflip and starts dancing around. And so it's like, oh, let me dig that knife a little bit deeper in your backs. Um, so <laughs> um, June, the king of the ring occurs. He wrestled Stone Cold Steve Austin to a non-finished double DQ, George's favorite, uh, in 22 and a half minutes. Um, that was an AEW day because George hates non finishes. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's not that I hate. It's not that I hate non finishes. I don't. I don't necessarily have a problem with it. My issue is that when one company does it, it's praise. When another company does it, it's cheap. I agree. That's my, that's my issue. It's like if you're if you're gonna praise a double DQ or a non finish, then do it for both. Don't pick and choose your battles on it. I agree, hundred percent. Um, so this was a wonderful match for those of you who don't remember or know how great of a worker Stone Cold Steve Austin was before his neck issues. Um, Sean, uh, it, this was just a phenomenal match. The speed, the quickness, um, you know, there was no, there was no botches. Um, these were the kind of guys back then that you called it in the ring. And these two had just phenomenal chemistry. So if you guys want to go back and watch it, go to the 1997 King of the Ring. Um, and watch Austin versus uh, uh, Michaels. Um, in July, Michaels does not participate in the Canadian Stampede in your house for you know reasons that I don't know. Um, but I will say, in in terms of this pay per view that I, I, I found while looking it up, in 1997, the ever loving cuck uh, Dave Meltzer ranked <laughs> this as the best pay per view event of 1997, and in 2013. WWE ranked this as the 10th best pay-per-view ever. So um, great pay-per-view for those of you who guys want to go back and watch it uh, in your house, Canadian Stampede. Um, the crowd was red hot. It was a, a really fun pay-per-view to watch. Um, so August comes around, and this is where everything begins to catch fire. Or as JR likes to say, this is where business is about to pick up. Um, SummerSlam. 
Uh, Shawn Michaels is a special guest referee for the WWF title matchup uh, main event between the incumbent champion Undertaker defending his title against Bret the Hitman Hart. Amidst controversy, HBK counts to one, two, three for Bret Hart, crowning the jackass, the, the WWF champion for a fifth time. Um, in this match, we saw Taker get smashed with a chair by HBK that was intended for Bret Hart. And then afterwards, Hart spit a beautiful loogie right in the center um, <laughs> of Michaels' face, which Bret Hart says, I tried to aim for his chest. Sure you did, moron. Um, we are building towards another uh, HBK heart program. You see the seeds being planted there as well. Um, George, going back to that SummerSlam, which was a, a pretty fun event. Um, when you look at, uh, at the, I mean, I don't know when the last time is that you watched this match uh, it was in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Um, I mean, Brett and, and Taker put on a great match. Sean was pure heel at this point, obviously. Um, at that point, after watching that match, did you think that we were going to get, you know, another uh, Brett Sean for the for the next like few months, and not what we got in between? Or did you think maybe at this point, it's hard to say because we were still young, that maybe the Brett and Sean hatred was so deep that we were just never going to see them wrestle again? I, th I, I mean, I thought this was going to lead up to like the next match that Sean was going to have was going to be against Brett for the world title. I didn't, obviously I didn't see, and I don't think any of us really saw what was actually coming next for Sean. I thought this, like, I thought this was immediately, you know, like Brett was, Brett was full heel. Mm -hmm. um, the, the new heart foundation I formed with a bulldog and Owen and and Pillman, like it was fire. It it it, it was hot. I mean, it wasn't NWO levels hot, but it was right. it was get people to kind of look over and be like, "What's going on over here? Let's let's give this a look." And I love that match between Brett and Taker, the the heart and soul match, uh, as it, as it's been called over the years. Mm -hmm. um, and when Sean hit Taker with the chair, when busted I busted him open, when I first saw it. I thought it was um, actually. I thought I thought Sean intentionally did it mm -hmm. that he was going to sign up with Brett. But then, like after you know, obviously the afterfall of that, I was like, ah, eh, no, all right, this wasn't going to work. But mm -hmm. I didn't. I mean, like I said, like, like we didn't have the dirt sheets, so everything we saw on TV was just that. Like, like that was it. So yeah, I mean, we I took just, it for face value. Yeah, yeah. So like the hatred between Brett and Sean, it just I just thought it was just. You know, this is just good TV. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I didn't know it was as personal as it was from what we saw on TV. Because, I mean, we also got that Sunny Days promo in this year as well. Yep. So we, don't, we didn't realize then just how personal this hatred was between Sean and Brett. Mm -hmm. And so now let's stop for a second because this is probably the, the so the, 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 Aftermath of SummerSlam brings on the beginning and the cause of what most say arguably is the greatest era in professional wrestling, and that is the Attitude Era. The following night on Raw, um, the uh, August 4th interview with Vince McMahon in the ring is where uh, Vince and Sean talk, and, and Sean officially turns heel. 
And this is where Sean talks about, um, this is where he, he discusses how everyone is blaming him for everything that went on with SummerSlam and then the, 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 the fans and the management of the World Wrestling Federation are dumping all of the trash and all the controversy onto his lap. And, you know, he talks about carrying the company on his shoulders, um, being the best in the ring. And then he stares Vince right in the face and he goes, I don't give a damn what anybody else in this company thinks that, you know, he's the man. Um, no, this is, this is, here we go. This, it was a very intense uh, interview and about a, over a month later, and we'll get into September is where we see the official reason and the cause of the start of the attitude era. Um, but, you know, but before we get to that, um, it, right after uh, the Royal Rumble, I'm sorry, the SummerSlam here, you have September's In Your House, which is ground zero. Uh, the main rivalry heading into this event uh, involved The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. So, of course, Shawn bashes Undertaker's uh, head in with a steel chair at SummerSlam, costing him the WWE title. Naturally, the very next month at a pay-per-view, these two are going to go head-to-head. Um, so that's where, you know, Michaels had to now pay for, pay for his sins. Uh, <laughs> um, so that was, you know, it, it, in, in that final match of ground zero, the undertaker fall HBK, um, you know, before the match even started, taker began to stalk Michaels around the ring. Um, Michaels grabbed the referee to use him as a shield, um, then pushed him in the taker back and forth, back and forth. Um, Michaels went over, which he did very often, man. He really blurred the lines of reality and television in this era like no other did. Um, you know, he would go right up to the desk to Vince McMahon at the broadcast table and, you know, told him, you know, I didn't want to be part of the match. I told you this in the back. I wanted nothing to do with this. Um, and he would just start cussing and yelling at, at um, Vince McMahon. And people have to remember, at this time, this is September, okay? Uh, the final time, the final event that Vince McMahon was a commentator was at Bad Blood in October. The Hell in a Cell match between Undertaker and Shawn Michaels was the very last time that Vince McMahon was a commentator. So here in September, people know that Vince is the owner of the company, but a lot of people don't know. A lot of people only look at Vince as the commentator. Um, he's Vince McMahon. Um, we haven't gotten to that whole Austin McMahon thing, obviously, for uh, yet. Um, so the, the this match uh, goes basically to a non-finish, um, but so much gaga happened in, in this one. Um, so we, we go into after um, after this match, this is where we have to discuss what happens. So September 14th, Monday Night Raw, Shawn Michaels, biker shorts, tube socks in his, in his shorts, does a promo with Jim Ross. Now, backstory is Vince McMahon is not at this event. This is one of the few times in the 90s that Vince was not at a Monday Night Raw. So, Shawn, being the complete jackassery that he is of this time, um decides to completely oh and by the way undertaker wasn't in at the show either so a lot of this interview is edited out on peacock of course why wouldn't it be um so sean comes out and he's he's jumping in he's jumping in the face of jr pointing to his crotch 
he is probably, I'm probably 90% certain he's high <laughs> doing this pay-per-view. Um, he's definitely, you know, under the influence of something. Um, so he cuts a promo and, you know, they cut to a lot, uh, a taped feed of the undertaker discussing, uh, you know, the hell in a cell coming up. Um, and Michaels is burying, no pun intended, burying undertaker on his promo knowing that Undertaker's not there. So it's just, he's literally going into business for himself uh, and just ripping everything he can and, you know, pointing to his crotch. He's fornicating with the mat. Um, like, he is just purebred assholiness right now with DX. You know, this is this is HBK Prime 97. Um, so the what comes after this, and you can hear this, guys, from multiple people. Jared Briscoe talked about it. Bruce Pritchard has said it. This was the birth, the official birth of the Attitude Era. So what happened was after this promo, they go into a production meeting the very next night, I believe it was in Poughkeepsie, New York. And Vince fined Shawn Michaels, uh, I think it was either 10, I think it's 10 or $20,000. So he fined Shawn Michaels for the antics and for what he did on TV. And it was at that production meeting where Vince McMahon said, but that is what we need. We need more of that. We need attitude. We need to show more attitude if we're going to compete. This is where the product is going. We need more people to be like Sean. And that was when literally the, the, the script just flipped. And Bruce Pritchard has been on record many times saying, because he was in that meeting with Vince, and he said that was where we coined the attitude era. That was where Sean is the reason that we had to go that far. Because we, it was just, we couldn't stop it. The wave was coming and we just could not stop. So for those who think that it was Austin starting the Attitude Era, no, remember, Austin 316 happened in June of 96, of 96 where the company was almost out of business. Um, so without what we saw in 97 with Michaels and DX, um, you might not get, the Austin 316 of the 98, 99, 2000. We don't know. But what we do know is that because of this one promo, Vince all of a sudden had a change of heart saying, yeah, I think shit needs to change. Um, think about, think, think about this, Chris. Um, yeah. The Austin, the Austin 316 promo uh, was, was June of 96. Yeah. Um, and obviously it was hot. It was a hot thing. You know, Austin's this next big thing. But it shows kind of how, I don't want to say little faith, but maybe Vince didn't quite believe in it because Austin was on the free-for-all for SummerSlam in 96. Oh, he wasn't right. even on the main show. Yeah. He was on the free-for-all against fat-ass Yokozuna. <laughs> and I don't mean to say that derogatory, but, but 96 Yokozuna was like 650 pounds. Yes. He was not in good shape. No. But I, I always found, and I found that funny back when I bought when I was living by myself, I bought the DVD collections uh, of SummerSlam. I got the ones I could get. And I remember watching the one for 96. I'm thinking to myself, was Austin on this show? Mm -hmm. Because they because they don't put the free-for-all on, on the DVD. It's just, yeah. you know, it, it, it's just the match from, it's just the, the event from start to finish. So I had to look it up and I was like, he was on the pre-show, like essentially the pre-show. Mm -hmm. The guy who two months prior won the king of the ring had one of the most memorable promos of all time and he didn't even make the main card i know you, you i mean you might be onto something there so you're you're right so here we are 
And this is why, and we'll do a separate show because Emma, um, WWE on Fox posted something on Instagram last week and Twitter asking, you know, you have to get rid of, or is it, you have to get rid of one. Is it, or which one was more important, Austin 316 or the, or the birth of the NWO? Right. And realistically, I think, and everybody under the thread and everything said Austin, 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 Austin. Look, I'm just going to be honest with you. I love Steve Austin as much as the next guy. He's in my top five. I put him on my Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling every single time. Well, cannot be moved. However, to say that his event was more important than the NWO tells me that there is no wrestling knowledge in, in these people or they're not really digging deep and realizing in 1996, like George just said, Austin 316 is a month old and he's outselling everybody in the history of the business. In merchandise, and he doesn't even make SummerSlam's main card. While on the other channel, in that summer, the NWO was born, changes the business forever. I just don't think you can compare. And not just that. If you want to, com- if you want to compare, if you want to compare the timelines, um, SummerSlam and Road Wild were both August pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. So Austin doesn't make the main card for SummerSlam '96. Road Wild 96, the Outsiders win the tag titles. Yep. And Hogan gets the, the WCW title. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you going to watch? Yeah, obviously, what's more, what's bigger at that point? Uh, and, and, I, and, and I don't want to veer too far off because this, because this is a whole other episode in yeah, itself. Which it will be. Yeah. But the birth of the NWO changed the industry. It did. Absolutely. Like, there's like, like you could basically look at at the wrestling timeline almost like you're looking at um like the Christian calendar of BC <laughs> and AD. It's basically a BN before the NWO and then after the NWO. Uh, exactly. That's that was the, that was the crux. That was the turning point yeah. in the entire industry. I agree. As much as Tony Khan, you know, harkens back to the days of like the 80s NWA and WCW that doesn't work in no. 2022 and mm-hmm. the ratings show it. Listen, I love Brian Danielson. You love Brian Danielson. Yeah. And I didn't, I mean, a 60 minute match. Yeah, it was great. And it was a mm-hmm. non-finish and they're like, yeah, well they did that all the, you know, Ric Flair and Terry Funk did that. Yeah. In the fucking eighties, but it doesn't work <laughs> in 2022. I, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy, Yeah. but I didn't grow up on that. So mm-hmm. that does nothing for me. I grew up on the new generation, the attitude era. I want shit like that. I don't mm-hmm. care about like wrestling, you know, back when wrestling was wrestling. I, 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 don't, I don't need it. Hmm. I don't need it. And then um, that's okay. So we, we carry on here into September, which was the one night only in Birmingham, England. Shawn Michaels becomes the very first ever Grand Slam champion after his controversial win over the British Bulldog to become European champion. Um, lots of unpacked. And it's con- and it was as controversial as I mean, yeah. you think that was and that wasn't going to be the most controversial thing that's done in that company this year. <laughs> it's amazing, and you know, lots to unpack there. You know, this was um, it wasn't in Bulldog's hometown, but it was right next door. Um, you know, this was a pay per view built all around um, British Bulldog. Um, you know, British Bulldog. Uh, Bulldog even brought his sister, who had stage four cancer at the time, who died like months later. Um, to this event, put her in the front row. Um, and you know, 
to see how that I event. Know, I did not yeah. know that. <laughs> if you go back and watch the match, Bulldog's entrance, he's with his sister. He walks out oh. with his sister. Um, oh. Yes. So this doesn't the, age well. No. So the, the the story behind this is British Bulldog, of course, was supposed to go over, but at the time, Sean was trying. They were trying to get him over as such a massive heel and DX as massive heels. The rumor was that Sean had it changed to where he goes over um, and beats him. But however, it's come out since that. Now that was actually Vince's call. I mean, everything at the end is Vince's call. Um, people could say, oh, Sean is an asshole. He wanted to have this uh, the match changed. Okay. I mean, so what? Everybody could do that. But Vince is the one. It, obviously, Vince thought of it and approved it. So obviously, he wanted it too. Um, so it's Vince, uh, you know, Sean goes out there. He wins the match um by submission um boy you talk about mayhem ensuing uh you know just trash fills the ring sean like is walking out and he gets lifted onto the shoulders of triple h and he's getting drilled in the face by cans and cups of beer chris i want you to think about real quick now that it's kind of a, a an image for wrestling you know with the heels you know with like with the trash being thrown Yes, that doesn't happen very often in WWF shows. It does not. That was a WCW thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw a clip of Scott Hall getting hit in the head with a full cup of soda, and him just no selling it, and then like slicking his hair, like like, like basically running the soda through his hair, you know, like <laughs> yes. like, like like slicking it back. But yep. nobody was throwing trash in the ring at a WWF show. You would no. never see that. Um, and for that, to, and for that to happen, like. It's like wow, this is. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was surreal. Sean was was blurring the line. We didn't know if this was a work or I know. if this was his personality because this mm-hmm. was a time. This was the first time we were getting this in WWE. Yeah, I mean it was it was incredible, man. Like you look back here, and this is bef- and again, people just don't remember the shit that DX was doing. Were I mean they there I mean that whole presidential speech. That was built off the backs of a real problem. That was a real order from the USA Network that they were going to shut down WWF Raw if DX was allowed to continue with the crotch chops and the sexual innuendos. I mean, this was right after the week where they had a grill in the middle of the ring and they were talking about how big their wieners were. And like USA Network told WWF, we're going to pull you. We are going to turn the show off if you do that. So DX reads the real memo <laughs> on live television. And apparently, as Triple H would say, the next day, USA loved it. USA loved that they took their own stuff and turned it into something that was very comical. Um, and just, they, they, it was phenomenal. Now, all of a sudden now, oh yeah, all of a, like Triple H says, oh yeah, do that thing where you point to your crotch and yell suck it to everybody. Like, this is... The Attitude Era, it wasn't Austin. It wasn't The Rock. This was D-Generation X that were bringing in what saved professional wrestling. If you didn't have DX and and all of night and like that late 97, I do not know if the WWF would have been able to hang on against WCW. No. Um, I'm, I'm a, if, if I have to use my opinion on it, I say no. I say they don't. Because... It was clear that WCW was 
was turning the corner of a way and WWE had no had no choice. Mm-hmm. They had to they had to either match them or beat them at what they were doing. Yeah. And yeah. DX was their best shot of doing that cuz we don't I mean Austin got injured at SummerSlam. So he was I mean he kept popping up but mm-hmm. he was essentially out. Yeah. You ne- you needed a heel who um people wanted to cheer for who people wanted to boo but more importantly you wanted somebody that that was going to make you want to flip that channel Mm -hmm. and watch that show and heel michaels and and dx that was them they were doing things that um that we didn't that that we didn't see before as i I, as i as i repeat myself they were sex drugs and rock and roll yeah that's exactly what it was they were essentially like 80s rock and roll Yep. In one group, and people always say, you know, oh, look, like DX was just the WWE version of NWO. It's like, well, not really, right? In terms of like memorable stables, then yes, they were, yeah, but they were not doing the same thing. NWO yeah. was looking to take over WCW and yeah. be its own entity, yeah. They didn't DX push the envelope. Was just, DX was just, hey, we're on the payroll, but we're gonna make you sweat every week, absolutely. Like, yeah. we're not trying to take over the company, we're gonna, you know. If Vince gets five gray hairs on his head that week, we want to be responsible for those five gray hairs. Because think about when um, when Sean and Triple H came out, and they're and they're you know they're in the the like the rich boy shorts, oh yeah, polos. Yeah, they're talking about the curtain call. They're showing it on Mm -hmm. the Titantron. We didn't. First off, we didn't know anything about that unless we read like the magazines and like and all that but they were essentially at a time when it was almost unheard of to even talk about they broke kayfabe uh, big time yeah to even talk about people on other shows they threw up a video that had kevin nash and scott hall on it (laughs) and just were like oh but but he's a bad guy and you're a good guy like they're blurring those lines yep and it it, it made for good tv yeah and this would say that's such good shit pal that's it. And it was, and it, this is just where everything changed. And we're going to do a show down the line, DX and NWO, the importance of both. We're going to talk about all that kind of stuff. Um, but let's get into October. So these next two months, holy crap, like some of the greatest two months in the history of wrestling. Um, so here we go. October, bad blood um, in your house, bad blood. Um, probably my favorite match in the history of wrestling. Um, the main event feud heading into this was The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. Obviously, we know that this rivalry dated back to August at SummerSlam. Um, but in, in this one, man, um, this was where we found it. We we saw the birth of the Hell in a Cell. Um, it would be the first ever Cell match held by WWF. Um, obviously, it was it was Michaels versus Taker. Uh, the winner would face Bret the Hitman Hart for the WWF Championship at Survivor Series the next month. Um, Michaels was initially accompanied to the ring, uh, by Triple H China and Rick Rude, obviously Degeneration X. Uh, but after the cage was locked, all three of Michaels' allies were forced to leave the ring. Uh, Undertaker attacked Michaels early and often. Um, and his opponent obviously was unable to gain offense during the match. Approximately halfway through this match, a cameraman was kayfabe injured, um, forcing the door to unlock. Michaels and the Undertaker fought outside of the cell. 
Well, Michaels was then thrown face for one. Michaels did a drop kick on concrete only for Undertaker to catch him, uh, launch him, uh, slingshot him into the cage, causing him to bleed profusely. Um, I think this got, I think like 15 stitches right down the center of Michaels's uh, forehead, almost to his nose. Um, the two climbed to the top of the cell and fought, ending with Michaels hanging from the side of the cell while the Undertaker stomped on his hands, causing Michael to, at the time, at the time of 1997, the biggest bump in WWF history at the time. Um, through the Spanish announce table, uh, the two then returned to inside of the cell where the door was open, was once again locked. And afterwards, late in the match, Undertaker hit Shawn Michaels with one of the most devastating headshots <laughs> with a steel chair that you'll ever see. Um, as Michaels was laid unconscious, Undertaker gestured, but as he was doing this, the lights went out of the arena, the organ music began to play, and within seconds, we witnessed the greatest uh, debut in the history of wrestling. That's um, gotta be Kane. It's gotta be Kane. Um, Kane proceeded to rip the door off its hinges, which is a shoot, by the way. Um, assault referee Earl Hebner under and uh, enter the ring. He then turned the lights. He turned the lights on in the arena. He did it himself. Um, <laughs> Just flipped the switch. He's like, oh, yeah, guys, right? it's dark in here. <laughs> I know. He tombstoned um, Undertaker, which helped Michaels crawl right over to make the pin. Um, you know, Michaels gets the victory, and he's a number one contender. Uh, obviously, the story of this match are two things. One, dear God, what did we just witness? Uh, and two, the debut of Kane. Um, to this day, George, I think it's the greatest Hell in a Cell match of all time still. Um, what, were you, what are your thoughts on, on that Hell in a Cell match between Taker and Michaels? I had no idea what to make of Kane. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I know when he came out to the ring and he ripped the door off. And he just picked up Undertaker like he was 200 pounds soaking mm -hmm. wet and dropped him. That was the, that, I mean, like we've seen, you know, laid, we've seen Diesel give him a jackknife and that was one thing, but to see Undertaker manhandled like, and not just by like giant Gonzalez or something, yeah. but like legit manhandled by a threat. Mm -hmm. That was huge. There yeah. was all, I mean, the reason why this match is so good is because there was is because it, so many things happened at one time in one match. You know, Michaels becomes number one contender. We know mm -hmm. what that leads to. Yep. Kane's debut leads to one of the greatest rivalries in wrestling history mm -hmm. and longest rivalries in yeah, wrestling absolutely. history. Absolutely. I mean, Kane Undertaker, you know, uh, are they are they going to team up or are they going to fight each other? Either way, it's going to make for either way it's going to make for good TV. Yeah. I agree. Unless it's unless it's Crown Jewel, then yeah, <laughs> then, then it's not then, good TV. Then, then we're all crying. Yes, um, <laughs> missed it by this much, just um, a little bit. But it was, I had, I mean, I've never seen anyone bleed that much on TV up to Ooh, that point. I, I, mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, the years following, it was just, you know, that's yeah, yeah, commonplace. That's <laughs> <laughs> just the thing. That was, that was just the thing that was going on. Yeah, I but, know. I mean, it was a time. I mean, it was, you, you didn't know, you really didn't know what to make of it. And we had, and we had no idea what was going on with Kane. Mm -hmm. You know, he wore a mask. He didn't speak. Paul Barrett did all the speaking for him. Yep. Yep. I mean, it was, it, it, 
and it was awesome. Why, and that's why, like, the people who talk about how the Attitude Era started at WrestleMania 14, it's like you're ignoring so much of what actually started the Attitude Era. I know. I know. It, it's and just... The, and, 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 and you can even, I mean, I, I, I say that the Attitude Era officially started SummerSlam 96. I agree. That's a great that's, point. That's a great that's, point. That's where I pick it up. Mm-hmm. Because that be, be, because of the title match between Taker and Brett really was the genesis of of Sean turning heel. Mm-hmm. Of you mean SummerSlam '97? SummerSlam '97. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean Sean turning heel. The, yep. The birth of Degeneration X. Mm-hmm. That match doesn't happen with Sean as the referee. Mm-hmm. We, it, it, it's it, it's like going back to 1955 and stopping George McFly from uh from getting hit by that car. It always comes back. <laughs> always, always comes, comes back. back. <laughs> um. So now we get into after the this uh, October Bad Blood. Now this is where you know now we can have some some fun here uh, on this show because this is you know the most notable, most famous, infamous event in the history of professional wrestling which occurred November 9th, 1997 um, in, in Montreal, Canada. Um, that very important demo that we so speak of today. Um, oh, the Canadian demo. Yeah. Um, so leading up to the Survivor Series, the promos that and the ungodly tension that we saw every Monday night on Raw between Michaels and Brett um, – what what looking back now, just you now, and you've watched these promos and these rolls from back in the day between these two, have we since seen anything like that before? Like before ever, uh, have we seen no. anything since? No. Like just no. a true vitriol hatred for one another. No, and nothing will come close. The closest, the closest I'll give you, and the um, is going to be. <sighs> 2000, I think it was 2006 or it was 2005. One of them, Mick mm-hmm. Foley and Ric Flair. Oh, that's, that's right. What I'll give you that, yeah. but that's the only, but that's the only thing I can yeah. give you. And that was only, and that was like a one-time promo yeah. that led to a match. Right. Um. But like, what about was, Edge and Matt Hardy? Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But they've since recovered. Yeah, they're best <laughs> um, friends now. Yeah, best friends. But yeah, for that, for those promos, I mean, there were times. To- I mean, that was where we saw Sunny Days. That was where we saw Brett call Sean and Triple H a bunch of homos. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, reminder again, everybody, this is before Austin McMahon. So people are getting called homos and, on television. And also, <laughs> don't for- and, and and also. Do- um- don't forget, Chris, at, at WrestleMania that year too, Brett came out before the main event and called out Sean. Yes. And called yeah. him a faker. Yep. Like, yep. <laughs> so Said he I mean, was going through this a goes back. foot this injury. Goes way back. Yeah. Like that was when, you know, Sean, uh, Brett said, you know, you can go over there, you could fake your pussy foot injury. Um, like just so many things, so many lines were blurred. Um, and then you have the incident in, I forget where they were at. But it was um, 
where Brett was in a wheelchair because he was hurt. He was such a hot heel. He had just gotten MCL surgery like a week before. And the, the angle was so hot between uh, Sean and Brett that um, Vince said, look, you don't even have to wrestle. You don't have to move. Just come to TV in a wheelchair and just kind of promote Sean. So at the end of the Raw, you know, Brett was supposed to hit Q after Q after Q. All right. Before Zoom, very rudely um, did a screw job on me here and kicked me off. Let's uh, get back to what I was talking about. So what I was saying is there is the promo in the ring where uh, Sean was standing up, uh, listening to Brett in a wheelchair, just berate him, uh, talking about him being in a Playgirl magazine where I don't remember where he says, you know, then you pose for a Playgirl magazine where I don't know any any girls that read that magazine. Um, and then he, he just goes into a whole bunch of stuff where, you know, he doesn't have the guts um, to, to face him for the title and, you know, he can't beat him, blah, blah, blah. And the story goes that they were supposed to hit a key. Uh, Brett was supposed to hit the final cue to where Sean was going to super kick Brett out of the chair. And apparently according to Bruce Pritchard, who was running the show at that time, and the time clock and the headpieces, you know, Sean, uh, Brett had an earpiece. Um, they were saying, you know, Sean was hitting his cue over and over and over again. Um, he said the handheld camera guy was telling Brett, hit the cue. Here's the words. Here's the line that you're supposed to say. Um, in the headset and, and Brett's ear, Brett, say the line. Brett, say the line. And apparently Brett just blew it off. And they had to cut the show. They ran out of time. And then... The, uh, the viewing public had to wait six days until they could see the kick actually happen off air. Um, and apparently like that was a time where Sean went in the back and said, that's it. All glove, uh, all bets are off. Gloves are off. Uh, you know, the, you know, the truce is off bitch. Like I'm, I'm done because that was uh, like a week after Brett tried to go in and just settle things down between him and Sean. And they agreed to, you know, have a truce. And then Brett comes out and does what he does on this Monday Night Raw. Um, JR seems, you know, because JR is probably a shill for Brett right now because Brett has done appearances for AEW and JR is a whore for anybody who pays him. So, um, you know, JR was on a, his podcast a couple months ago saying, I doubt very highly Brett did that on purpose, where you have a guy like Bruce Pritchard who has nothing to lose or gain from saying, where I can show you on television now where we were giving him his lines. We were giving him the time cues and he was just blowing it off. And we, and, and, and then Conrad Thompson said, so Brett's lying that he didn't get the cue and didn't get the line. And, and then um, he would, and then uh, Bruce said, Brett at that moment would have had to out of nowhere for a couple minutes have all of a sudden become blind and deaf to not hit this mark to get the kick in. So as time went on, obviously they thought Brett did it on purpose. Sean thought he did it on purpose. I believe Brett did it on purpose. You can't convince me otherwise. Um, when you have a guy, a producer who clocks the show and is talking to you in your head and talking to everybody around the ring and telling us and, and on a podcast live that everybody in the world, Sean was hitting, giving him the line, muttering in the line to him and Brett just blew it all off. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Bret Hart can be pretty damn spiteful to a guy he hates right in front of him. Um, go ahead. I think uh, four out of ten people believe that 
believe that uh, Brett did, didn't hear the cues. Well, the majority wins then. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. Screw you at first, Brett. Um, and then, like, just these promos, man, were just hot. Like, just so hot. Um, and then we get into the backstory. So let's get to Survivor Series. Let's get to where, why we're here. You know, for we know now. Again, we have heard so many things on the Montreal Screwjob. Um, so for those of you who don't listen to podcasts, or maybe you do sometimes, on a very recent um, uh, podcast, I think it was, there was a remix edition of the Survivor Series, or the Montreal Screwjob, on the Something to Wrestle With podcast, Bruce Pitcher, Conrad Thompson. At the end of the show, for about an hour and a half, uh, Conrad interviewed Gerald Briscoe who was literally at Vince McMahon's side and Shawn Michaels' side the entire time. And he discussed the – no one's ever talked to Gerald Briscoe about the events leading up to the Survivor Series. And he was literally, at that time, Vince McMahon's, like, right-hand man. It was Bruce and it was Gerald Briscoe. And Briscoe gave his account of everything, and he said the same thing. Um, Brett was at the end, you know – he had already told that he was going, uh, Vince, he's going WCW. Um, Gerald Briscoe says, look, we were in Bahrain. There was an event in Bahrain. Now, I can't wait to tell this story. And this is not my words. This is Gerald Briscoe. They were in Bahrain. And at, this was at a point where Vince was telling Brett, like, or Brett was saying, look, I'll drop the title to whoever. I just won't drop it to Sean in Montreal. So let's try to find a way to get the title off. If you want to get the title off me before that, I know I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it anywhere but Montreal, and I'll do it to anyone but Sean. They're in Bahrain, which is in the East Bumblefuck nowhere overseas. They're in Bahrain, and he's doing a match with The Undertaker. Vince says, you know, this is a military crowd. You know, we have a lot of, you know, people here that are big fans of Undertaker. He's got a big crowd here. Maybe let's drop the – how about you drop the title to Undertaker here? Drop the Undertaker – drop the title to The Undertaker right here. So – the almighty role model, the idol that people love so much, Brett the Shitman Hart, literally says that, you know what, I just don't think I want, I'm not dropping it to the Undertaker here because there's a contingency of a couple hundred Canadian soldiers in the crowd tonight. I'm not dropping the title to the Undertaker because there's a contingency of Canadian soldiers in Bahrain. All right, dipshit. How, how, how many? 500? If that? No. Yeah. And Gerald Briscoe said he literally flat out said, I'm not putting over The Undertaker in front of, um, I'm not losing a WWF title in front of uh, Canadian soldiers. This shithead who people love and revere so much these days, literally, I wish Goldberg was in Bahrain that night. That would have been spectacular. Um, so then that's, you know, you know, for Bret Hart, who in his own book said, I'll drop it to anybody. I'll drop it to the Brooklyn Brawler in Madison Square Garden on a live event. I'm just not doing it in Canada. Wouldn't even put over The Undertaker in Bahrain. Not on television, not in America, not in Canada. Bah fucking rain. Bret Hart says, ah, screw The Undertaker. I ain't, I ain't, I'm, not, I'm not dropping the title. There's, there's, there's seven Canadian soldiers at a bar across the street. I ain't doing it. Like that's yeah. what that's would they Brett think Hart. of me? Yeah, what would they think of me? I'm <laughs> I'm the Bahrain Canadian hero. Um, 
So then we go. <laughs> so now, so it's been said so many times that you know Brett was very adamant. He gets to the arena that night, and you know you hear it on the Wrestling with Shadows. Um, well, I guess you could say DVD or movie. The Wrestling with Shadows DVD. You can hear, you know, Sean, you know, uh, um, uh, Vince and Brett talking about the match, and you know, you hear Brett say. I'd, you know, I'd rather die than, than lose a Shawn Michaels. Like uh, that's, uh, that's, that's how serious this was to four out of 10. Like, this is how serious it was. Like you're leaving, you're literally leaving 24 hours later and you don't want to drop a title because you're, you're, you're in, you're in Canada. And I, I love Ted DiBiase on a DVD that he said, like literally, and Gerald Briscoe said the same thing, the most selfish act that brett or any wrestler could ever do is say i'm not dropping i'm not losing to somebody because i'm in this place hey hey um dummy brett you're on worldwide television idiot like who you doesn't matter where you're losing some dude in germany is gonna watch you lose in canada who cares where you lose it doesn't matter you're you're leaving Literally, the next day, you chose to sign. You went and got the money at WCW, which good for you. Everyone should do that, especially as pro wrestlers. Get the money. Do what you got to do. Yeah. But, and then all of a sudden, you, you don't want to drop the title. I mean, to The Undertaker, you don't want to drop the title to anybody. And then you expect, you expect Vince McMahon to be okay with that. You think after the Alondra Blaze incident and everything that's been going on, with the W with WCW Monday Night Wars, where he's finally getting a little bit of traction now, you think he's gonna just let you put uh, win the title and expect that you're gonna show up the next night on Raw and just hand it over? No, no, no. Screw you. Shove that up your ass. I love the fact that Triple H said on that phone call the night before, "Fuck him. If he doesn't want to do business, do business for him." So it might be a mafia hit. That's fine. It's the most exhilarating mafia hit I've ever watched. And to this day, still love watching because the prick face did it to himself. All he had to do was drop the title. He could have did it six weeks later. He could have done it the week before. No, apparently according to Brett, he held all the cards, all the creative cards, all that shit. Vince told him he was going to, you know, he was going to win or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So all that happens. And, you know, this is all Joe Briscoe saying the same thing. Like, what else was what else was Vince had to do had to do what he did. There was no other alternative. Vince protected the business. He protected the boys. He protected the business. Was it a shit thing to do? All right. All my hatred aside for Bret Hart, of course, it's a shit thing to do. But if I was in Vince's shoes, I would have done the exact same thing. And I would have said the same thing to the boys that night or the next day on Raw. I did it for all of you. I did it for the continuation of this business. I mean, uh, George, like your thoughts on the whole Montreal screw job, things I just told you, like your thoughts on this whole thing. I had no, I had no idea of the Bahrain incident. Yeah. So I, I, I had no idea of that. So that was all new to me. Mm-hmm. But now I'm going to call some people out uh, on social podcasting. As okay. Do. Now, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago or so, it was probably around the anniversary of the Montreal mm-hmm. Screwjob. 
there was a, a post that was put up in the retro wrestling all-stars group on Facebook. And I mm-hmm. hope they're listening. Um, <laughs> you have a pretty good following. I'm sure at least one of them is, uh, is, is listening to us. Yeah. <laughs> Where they drag Sean through the ringer over his, over, you know, Sean's a scumbag. You know, he shouldn't have had to go down like this. And then I'm commenting. I'm like, Vince did. I was like, I was like, whoever you think is at fault. I was like, Vince did what he had to do mm-hmm. to protect his company to prevent another Alundra Blaze incident from happening. Yeah, he couldn't run the risk of Brett going over to WCW and dropping that title in the trash, mm-hmm. completely burying the company. Yeah, and they're like, oh well, 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 Brett wouldn't have done that. He told Vince he wasn't going to do that. Well, we already know Brett's not a man of his word. Right. So that holds no weight. But these people, these people, and I use this term loosely, people, <laughs> they're, they're, they're degenerates. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's the wrestling fan base is, uh, is, is the most toxic fan base out there. Uh, it's yep. not even close to whoever second place is, maybe Star Wars, but it ain't even maybe. Close. Yeah. I mean, Chris, you and I have said multiple times, nobody hates wrestling more than wrestling fans. Hands down. Um, but they're like, oh, well, Brett said he would have dropped the belt, but Sean said that if the roles are reversed, he wouldn't do it. So Brett changed his tune. And I'm like, so what? So so Brett got pissed at a hypothetical situation and decided he wasn't going to do business? I'm like, that's the most Hogan move I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, so Brett gets boo-boo face because he was talking oh. to a guy that he hates. So you don't think Sean's going to stir the pot and go, ah, I don't want to work with you. So I'm talking to these guys about it and I'm like, and they're not seeing it. I'm like, so you, I'm like, so you're defending a guy who got mad out of a hypothetical situation and you're blaming the other guy. Yeah. I was like, do you realize how ridiculous that sounds? Yes. I didn't use the word ridiculous. I used. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I'm like, do you understand how that sounds? Like you're defending a guy who got mad at a scenario that was never even in place. Right. That would be like me getting mad that you slept with my girlfriend, like something that's not going to happen. Right. It's like, oh, well, screw you, Chris. Like it's, it's, it, it, what it all boils down to is Brett had creative control, didn't want to drop the belt. And from what I heard before, there were numerous scenarios that they gave him. Numerous, right? You know, like, well, we can end the match on a DQ, like Triple H can interfere and win the match on a DQ, and then you can, you know, just get pissy and and, and, and throw the belt down and like leave. And like, mm-hmm. you know, just like, no, I'm not doing any of that. Like, yeah, Vince, was it, uh, I mean, as you said, like, what w- was it a shitty thing to do from a personal standpoint? Yes, yeah, of course, from a business standpoint. No, I agree. Vince did what he had to do. Yeah. Um, at the and end of the day, the business is the most important thing. You're protecting- agreed, and that's his business. That's his money. That's his business. And you know, and 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 look, Sean. To this day, he talks about how you know he looks back on it. He hates the fact that he was part of it, but he does say, "Look, if I was asked to do it again, I would." You know why? I'm an employee. My boss asked me to do something, and I did it. That's just the way it was. And I, I do the same thing. If my boss asked me to do it, I'd do it. I mean, especially if I knew the guy, other guy's leaving the next day. 
and he's leaving us and he's going to because he's leaving for the money. Of course, makes it much easier for me. But here's another thing that raises some questions. And I, I, I literally just thought about this while we were sitting here. Mm-hmm. If um, if we all knew if, if they knew Brett was leaving and going to WCW, then what was the purpose of him throwing the temper tantrum? spitting on Vince mm-hmm. and writing WW out in big letters as if he's like, as if he's like, fuck it, I'm going to WW. Well, they all knew you were going. Yeah. So what was the point of all that? The so crowd knew you were going. So, so part of that makes it feel like Brett knew this was going to happen all along and he was just playing up with it and he was just playing it up. But Brett doesn't want to come out looking like a chump. So he's going to be like, no, I, I didn't know what I mean. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like it, we like, like it was common knowledge that Brett. I mean, for from from all the boys in the back, he was going to WCW. Yeah, and so for him to just do it on pay per view was like just letting the fans know he was going, and that he was just mad that he got screwed that title, so he was going to say, "Screw, it, I'm going to WCW." Yeah, you're already going. Mm-hmm. You were going whether you won the match or lost the match, Brett. Right. What Agreed. So what was the point of all of that? It's that's the thing. It's like it's just. When you look back now, it's like, okay, yeah, Brett, you were screwed. But if you're such a smart guy, and in your book, you said you felt like something might happen. And even those the stories were said that, um, you know, when this match happened, Owen Hart and British Bulldog were at gorilla position just in case something happened. So people had a feeling it was going to happen or something was going to go down. But apparently to this day, Brett's the only one who was stunned at the fact that this happened. Yeah. So it's, it's just weird. So now here's so so now here's another thing. So the Montreal screw job happens. Um, Bulldog and Neidhart leave in solidarity with Brett. Mm-hmm. But Owen stays. Stays. Now, mind you, of them, Owen is the only one who's blood related to Brett. Right. He what does stays, that tell you? He stays with the company. So why so if this was such a, a big thing and such a in such a dastardly deed mm-hmm. then why wouldn't owen have left too yep because owen was business that's what owen comes from a wrestling family and yeah. there's another thing that 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 briscoe said that was very telling to me he said i grew up in the wrestling business and i knew Stu hart i knew how Stu hart did business i he's like i know for a fact Stu hart would have done the same thing Vince McMahon did if somebody was doing what Brett was pulling. So that tells me Owen thought the same exact thing. It had to have. There's no other reason why Owen would would stay unless he's like, you know what? I mean, business is business. Vince did what he had to do. My brother just had to have been the shit end of the stick on that one. But that's on him. I mean, and let's be honest. No one's stopping Neidhart and Bulldog from walking out the door in 97. Yeah, well, I mean... Nyhart's cocaine stopped him from entering the door many times. Um, but I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, rest in peace, Jim Nyhart. The good, you know, I mean, I mean, on, so. at, at this point, 1997, Jim Nyhart and David Boy Smith are past their prime. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Nothing, there was going to be nothing for the Medway. It's not like Jim Nyhart is going to have this great singles career in 1997 after, you know, after no. these days. No, no. no. Um, so at the Survivor Series, um, uh, Sean began his third reign as WWF champion. He entered into a quick little feud uh, with Ken Shamrock. Um, 
<laughs> the WWF Championship, which culminated at the In Your House Degeneration X event, where Michaels retained the title um, after Shamrock won by disqualification after being attacked by DX members Triple H in China. Michaels would lose the WWF Championship in March of 1998 to Stone Cold Steve Austin with the era beginning for Austin um, before being forced into a four-year retirement after suffering a then-career-ending back injury in that January Royal Rumble casket match against Undertaker. Um, Michaels would not wrestle again until 2002. So we talked about the screw job. Um, we're, at, we're done with 1997, Shawn Michaels here. Um, so before, you know, we get out of here, um, overall, 1997, Shawn Michaels, uh, George, where do you put this in the annals of the most memorable years of pro wrestling? I think this, the Montreal Screwjob is what kind of puts 97, um, I don't want to say on the map, but it mm -hmm. makes it memorable because yeah. people know that that's when the Screwjob happened. Mm -hmm. Whether you look at it as memorable or not, this was one of the most important years yeah. for WBF. Mm -hmm. They, like, everything just kind of fell into place and it fell perfectly, mm -hmm. especially everything involving, um, everything involving Sean. Yeah. It, it was, it, I mean, it was, it was like an accident that turned into a masterpiece. Yeah. Like everything from the start of, from the start of the year uh, of Sean beating Sid for the title, Sean quote unquote losing his smile and going out because all that did was further the personal mm -hmm. off screen animosity between Sean and Brett that we didn't know about unless we read the Observer. But then again, Dave Meltzer's been wrong on everything for forty years, so why would he be right this time? <laughs> um, so I mean, and then Sean, you know, coming back from that and then you know winning the what was he he, he won the tag titles with austin that year too, yes. right yeah and then he left they didn't he like leave for like a month yes because because of like some personal shit between brett didn't he yeah like, uh, a backstage you know? fight yeah like he had a backstage fight with a safe working environment yes that i mean <laughs> once again was something that nobody knew like right in 97 if sean was off tv for a month we're not thinking he left the company for a month no. Right, exactly. Like he was, he was gone. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I did a little research too, and I didn't, I didn't even know that. I didn't mm -hmm. know that. Now. I was today years old. <laughs> I was thirty six when I found that Sean was gone for a year in ninety seven, <laughs> or, or, or was gone for a month in ninety seven. Yeah, but like, it just, like, if you look at Sean, it's, it's one of the. I mean, you, you if you want to talk long term storytelling. Oh, geez. This was just, it was, it was personal. Mm -hmm. It blurred the lines of kayfabe. Yep. And it just continued mm -hmm. and it was culminated and it got it got more into must see. Like I need to know what happens the next week. I need to know what's going to happen at this pay-per-view. People yeah. were tuning in. People wanted to see. We can talk about how the time that you know WF finally won the ratings back with uh, Austin versus McMahon and mm -hmm. in uh, was it April of 98? Yep. The tide was starting to turn in 97. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, people will sit there and and, and, and ignore it. Yeah. We're the revisionist history, but it's like, really, like, do a little more research, guys. Mm -hmm. like, look back further. Don't look at just Austin. Look back 
further at every yeah. on the outside. Michael's and and DX's uh, ascension mm-hmm. to to being the, the the number one guys to watch on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is if this is the Michaels that we had in '96. I My mean, God, that's that that's a different story. And I love and, and and I love Sean. And I I have nothing but I have, I have nothing but great things to say. Um, but face Sean in '96 wasn't working. No, and that, because that's not what he was. No. You know, him running around with Jose Lothario. I'm sure Sean at the two months was completely tired of that. Oh, I'm sure. He was just like, you got to let me off the hinges here. You got to just let me go. And that's why I said before the importance of like that mind games match with mankind, it forced Michaels to be a different character because of how quote unquote sadistic the mankind character was. And then you go into wrestling Sid at Madison square garden and getting booed out of the building that's when the light bulb probably switched with McMahon saying might be time to kind of take the chains off the baby face here. And thank God that they did, because if you don't, what do you, God, what happens if 1997, if 1993 Vince McMahon was in the 1997 head of Vince and he just said, nah, you know, we're going to keep him like, you know, the Roman Reigns aspect, just keep making a baby face, just keep shoving them down their throats, baby face. I'm telling you, and I'm being serious, and we'll talk about another show. I don't think the company survives. I just don't. Because who, at the time, it's 97, like we just said. King of the Ring, it was in 96, Austin 316. He's a lukewarm heel, decent baby face at the middle to end of 97. So who's going to lead the company to beat the NWO? Who's going to break the 83 weeks of getting your ass kicked in the ratings? Without Degeneration X, I don't think we're talking about a global empire that is WWE today. I just don't. And from there, they and and from there they um, they saw that it worked with Sean. I mean, and they, and they, obviously there was some success with Austin as well. Of course, because they, they saw him going, and they're like, "All right, well, let's see, let's see where we can go." Yeah, with Sean. Yeah. And then and then with Sean. You know, with them pulling the chains off of him, yeah. Like, all right, well, let's pull the chains off of Sean and see what he can do. Then they're like, all right, well, let's pull the chains off of Austin. Yes. Let's see where this goes to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like it hurt with him being out when he got hurt by Owen Hart in that match. Yes. But but we got to see the promos. With the fact that Austin kept showing up because yes. it was a great promo, mm-hmm. and I mean, and that first stunner on Vince McMahon won the ratings battle. That, that was yep. that was huge because yep. even up to that point, casual fans didn't know that Vince McMahon owned the company. Right, exactly, exactly, correct. I mean, even then, you know, because they, they always tried out Gorilla Monsoon as the president. So we're gonna mm-hmm. Gorilla Monsoon, right? He's the guy that's running the show. Mm-hmm. But like '97 was the year that we like that the world found out that Vince McMahon was the guy behind the curtain. Yes, that was that was it. That was when we. We finally found out about it, and it's just—it's wild, it, man. Long-term storytelling. Who'd have thunk? And and that and, and that year also gave birth to heel Vince McMahon to to, to, to the Mr. McMahon character. Mm-hmm. One yeah. of the greatest heels of all time. Yeah, it's the most pivotal year in the history of wrestling. It has to be. It led you to turning the company over to Stone Cold Steve Austin three months into 1998. So it's 
it, it, it's incredible. We're going to talk so much about 97, 98, 99 down the line. Um, but yeah, this is the last episode of this year, um, which only has, you know, 10 days left. But um, the, the first show we're going to be doing in January will be Royal Rumble. I believe Royal Rumble 1998 will be what we talk about it. So it's crazy because we just talked about 97, Sean. We're going to discuss the Royal Rumble 97 or 98, where that catapulted Stone Cold to main event WrestleMania. And it was the beginning of the end for a while for the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. So we're going to discuss the Rumble of 98 in the first week of January, most likely. Um, so I'm, I'm really thrilled that we were able to get a, uh, three episodes in a row to you guys. When I didn't even plan to start this thing back until January, but I'm really happy that we're on a roll here. Um, just I'm doing this to prove Dean wrong. So we have a oh lot of we have a lot <laughs> this of is all, this is all for sp- this is all spite. <laughs> um but uh yeah so looking forward to that george thank you so much man for joining me this was a lot of fun did you hear me <laughs> i think i think i lost george um but that's okay um so uh for george rogers uh, I, yeah i cut it out sorry okay, okay it's okay no i was just saying thank you very much for joining me it was a great time oh um, yeah i love it yeah yeah and we got plenty more coming to you guys. Uh, George, what's coming up on, on your side of the thing? You got a, multi-mover, um, uh, a multiverse movie podcast coming up, correct? Yeah, well, if we ever decide to record again, um, I mean, we got, we were supposed to do two, two Christmas movies leading into Christmas, and we've yet to record either of them. Um, <laughs> uh, Dean's been working some nights uh, at Amazon, so it's been kind of hard to lock anything down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just been a little chaotic so we, if we if we can't get anything uh up soon then definitely afterwards the, yeah. the, the, the definitely after the holiday season but it, at least get die hard up <laughs> at, at least i mean i, I don't know. just watch these movies for my health i mean i do <laughs> i mean you do but you don't right um all right follow the hot tag podcast on instagram um, and getting a lot of followers on that lately. So thank you very much. I'm trying to post every day or at least every other day, uh, whatever pops up. December right now is probably a slower month for the WWE for history, but I'll do my best to pop something in there. Um, we do have some birthdays coming up, I think, at the end of the month for WWE. Um, but uh, thank you guys very much. This has been the Hot Tag Podcast. Uh, have a wonderful holidays. If you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. Um, I hope you guys have a great one. Uh, God bless you all. I love you. Um, And I'll I'll catch you guys down the road. Have a great one. Be safe. Bye-bye.